Well, good morning. Let's get started this morning. I did this with the teens the other day, so let's start off with uh, you trying to do some guessing here, all right? Top five significant words of the Christmas season. With the teens, I called it family feud, and they all looked at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, so the top five answers are on the board. I asked myself uh, for the top five significant Christmas words. I'm not talking about, you know, bells and Santa and reindeer, but like significant Christmas words, you know, Christmas cards and such. Um, if you had to think of five significant words, come up with a couple, because if someone guesses your first one, you need to be ready with another, all right? Just individual words, and hopefully we'll get the one that we're going to study this morning. Otherwise, this is all in vain. All right. <laughs> all right. Who, who wants to take their stab at getting the number one answer on the board? In-laws. What's that? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> What's that? Peace is, well, the number one answer. Um, how about that? The, the Maglinger family is ready to compete. <laughs> you want to play or pass? <laughs> yes, right. All right, so help the Maglinger family. What else is up there? Joy. Peace. Joy, goodwill. goodwill, I don't know, that, that would be a strike on my page, but you know, that's all right. <laughs> what else? Emmanuel. Emmanuel, that's a good one. You see that a lot? Love. Love. Savior. Savior, there's a good one, yeah. Savior, a couple more. What's that? Light. Light is a very common Christmas-themed word. Happy. We'll lump that with joy, yep. Gift. And then maybe birth or born. That, that kind of pulls in the Christmas story. Well, good. We're going to look at peace uh, as we think Christmas. Uh, when we hear the word peace, we might think small scale, like peace and quiet, um, a change of pace, a few days off work, you know, reading a book by the fireplace, Christmas afternoon when everything's died down, uh, quiet music playing, and there you are sipping your hot chocolate or tea or coffee or kombucha slime, you know, whatever, whatever appeals to you. <laughs> Or, <laughs> I know, and that brings peace to your stomach, right? Okay, I got it. See, it all, it's all coming together. Uh, you know what? There are others in the room you'll have to ask, what is that? It, it's something decaying, I think. I'm not sure. They tell me it's non-alcoholic, uh, but I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical of these people sipping out of their bottles and stuff. 
All right, well, you might think peace on the small scale. Um, maybe you think peace when you hear that word at Christmas time, and we think a little larger uh, because of what's going on in our world. Um, riots in cities or, or big cultural ideas conflicting with each other or just evil in the world. Uh, Russia and Ukraine or Palestine and Israel, big Big conflict, war, Uh, and we think of that context in the realm of peace. Uh, Often this time of year, you hear of that famous moment of Christmas peace, the truce of 1914. Uh, Sometimes it's kind of expanded into almost legendary description, but the reality is it it really did happen, and uh, both the German and British higher-ups tried to squash these little regions where truce would break out and they'd, and they'd celebrate Christmas. Um, but in Belgium, there's that famous Christmas Eve story of, you know, still uh, knocked in the Germans and silent night being sung. And over the night and into the next morning, there's this truce and soldiers come out of those, you know, trenches that were dug all over into kind of an open space of no man's land and actually enjoyed, you know, kicking balls around and sharing pictures and all those things. I guess a few years ago, you may have seen even a commercial. I think it was for like a British network and it was for some British chocolate bar. And they had this whole probably two or three minute commercial reenacting this whole scene of the truce. Peace right there in the midst of the, the kind of blossoming First World War. Uh, so peace is, is clearly a concept we understand on a whole spectrum of magnitude. Um, sometimes peace might mean you drop your kids off and they're running inside for 30 minutes and you're just in the car and that's, that's the peace you want. Or kids are taking a nap and it's like, woo highlight of the day. Um, and then other times, like we sit and watch the news or you listen to a podcast and you just like you're just you just long for an end. And, and you, you understand the Apostle John saying, Lord, come quickly. This is this is crazy. What is going on? And what you're really longing for is peace. Well, when we think of Christmas peace, there's an Old Testament text and an echo in the New Testament that are probably the most well-known passages regarding peace as it relates to the unfolding of the incarnation story. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Tucked away in that prophetic word about the coming of the Messiah was a whole lot of truth, but one of those themes is this message of peace. Then when we get to the actual unfolding drama of the Christmas story, we have that familiar text in Luke 2, and we know there's the decree from Caesar Augustus. We understand people moving and traveling for days or weeks to get to their homeland, and the the whole Roman Empire is doing this. It's not just Mary and Joseph. 
Uh, they're just some of the millions of people that would have been traveling. And then we are told that on that particular destination to Joseph's homeland in Bethlehem, uh, that there's shepherds out there on those hillsides, and we know that from history as well. Old Testament language reminds us that Bethlehem was this significant place uh, with its proximity to Jerusalem, just a couple of miles to the southwest. Uh, and they would have all these sheep there, and, and indeed many of them were used for temple sacrifices, just kind of the, the feeding farm, so to speak, for a lucrative business of providing animal sacrifices to all those that would come into town for the holidays. So we know the story. And in this story, that quiet shepherding night is interrupted by first one angel's announcement and that that angel is joined with a whole heavenly host, the old text would tell us, um, and, and they're all praising God for in this great announcement of the birth of the Messiah. Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Um, and, and that's a, a, a translation that's tried to zero in a little more specifically. We may be familiar with peace, goodwill to men on earth. Um, the idea I want us to hear is that theme of peace of the few words that were used in this announcement and celebration, one of them is peace. And so it's, it's good for us, I think, to think about this idea of peace because we will, whether or not the word peace comes into our head, whether or not we tie it to Bible promises, peace will be on our minds in this holiday season. We'll be concerned about what others think if they're coming to our house. We'll, we'll be thinking of those who, who don't gather with us or maybe because they're estranged in the family or, or from the church. Um, we'll, we'll think about, you know, the conflict of materialism and consumerism kind of competing with the true meaning of Christmas. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see all the, the booze and alcohol and parties and drunkenness and the brokenness that results from it. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll constantly be reminded of, in some way, shape, or form, the, the craving for peace that some are still pursuing and, hopefully, the peace that settles in our hearts so that traditions, nostalgia, kind of, cultural Christmas can, can just literally be a decoration. It can be, it can be fun. It can be like a birthday party game, pin the tail on the donkey. But the reality is we're celebrating somebody's birthday. You know, we're not celebrating a donkey and pinning the tail on, right? That's just, that's just something that kind of adds a little fun to the reality of we're glad you're in our family and you were born. It's the same at Christmas. There's, there's so much that can be just fun and it's fine. But let it just be decoration. And the hope is with a settled peace, we're not clamoring for all of that stage to be set up just right so that I can feel some kind of um, almost generated, commercialized peace. Create the Norman Rockwell picture and maybe I'll smile just like they are in that picture and everything will be peace. We don't have to function that way. We kind of take our peace with us. And whether 
whether we step into the Norman Rockwell picture or into some other kind of mess, that isn't that. It's less than that. It feels less than that. Uh, we can still have peace if we understand what the prophet was saying in the Old Testament. There, there's one coming. He, he's going to be God, and he's going to come in the flesh, and he's going to remedy sin's problem. He's going to bring peace. When you submit to this prince's rule, it, it is a submission, and, and it is the embracing of peace. Or as the angels would say, we, this is glory to God. Why? Because we have peace with him now and forever. So I want us to work at maybe this morning just defining this idea of peace. What, did, what, does, what does this hope of peace among those with whom God is well pleased look like? What, what does peace mean? Uh, again, we'll see it. We'll hear it in the Christmas songs. You'll get Christmas cards and be a beautiful picture of a family and maybe in a beautiful scrolling font will be peace to you or something. And we're, we're going to see a lot of peace this season. What does that mean? What does that one word represent from Bible truths. So think for a moment and then be ready for some input. Uh, how do we define this peace? Um, maybe you have synonyms. Maybe you have a direction. Maybe you have some context for peace. What does the Bible tell us about peace? If Jesus came, and that's what we're celebrating, the actual coming event, which we all understand kind of stands for the whole of his ministry. Um, what does it mean that he would be the prince of peace and that the angels would say, this is a good thing. This, this means you can have peace. But what does that mean? To us as believers who know our Bibles and know that it's, it's more than everything's going to work out this season and you'll get the gifts you want and the family will make it in town, and there won't be a snowstorm that keeps us from enjoying the events we want to enjoy. And We need to fight off that prosperity gospel even at Christmas season and clear all that stuff out, good as it may be, as thankful as we may be for a lot of those things, and just zero in on what does it mean that we know the Prince of Peace by faith? What does it mean that he says to us, peace, to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. So take us in some direction and we'll, we'll try to make sense of it. What do we know about peace? Paul? Just Romans 5, 1 is what immediately comes to mind. Uh, just that now that we have peace with God, thinking about peace not just being as um, my, my disposition, but also my position as a previous war against God that there, that Christ, the Prince of Peace, has actually achieved peace in a cosmic battle against my sinfulness and God himself. So I think we're right to think of peace first uh, as peace with God. Um, Paul said it this way, a position 
our position, our standing before God, not just a disposition. Um, it, it's a settled core reality. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Micah 5, we know because it talks about Bethlehem. It's that promise that even though Bethlehem was this little town, it, w- it would be remembered. Something big's going to happen there. And in that same passage, we read of that one who would be born there, which would kind of keep Bethlehem on the map. And it says of him, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So, prophets of old, apostles in the new, all celebrated this peace that would come, and maybe overarching in the definition we should have in mind, peace with God. We would associate this same peace not only with Christmas, but with Easter and the resurrection. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. So on him was the the punishment that we deserved. But by him taking our punishment, that means we received his righteousness and now we are right with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul said. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, would say it this way, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Well, that's because he counted them against his son, reconciling us to himself. I think we're singing that this morning in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, God and sinners reconciled. We have peace. So that's the starting place for sure. Uh, Out of that reality, we are justified by faith in Christ. By that reality, we know what peace is. Now, what else does the Bible tell us about peace? Because there is more. Uh, It's never anything less than this, peace with God. Anything, any other kind of peace that we're trying to define is going to fail. It's not truly going to meet the true definition of peace unless we understand that it starts with sinners being reconciled to God. Nobody's going to find the true peace in just family gatherings or enough toys and gadgets or enough vacation time and ease. Um, Nothing of this holiday can, can truly touch the right definition of peace if it doesn't start with peace with God. But let's go from there. Caitlin, you had an idea? Um, I was just thinking of John 14 um, and uh, Jesus telling his disciples, um, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, 
um, do I give it to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And I was thinking of the verse that precedes it, um, talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and um, just wondering if that ties in with this peace that we receive. Um, and then after, he's talking about his coming again, um, if I'm reading it right, <laughs> um, but just uh, that we are reconciled to the Father, um, and that brings peace. So John 14, uh, this promise of peace. You remember the chapter begins, don't let your hearts be troubled. So it's not surprising that soon after that we're hearing about how that could be, that we would have peace. Um, and this peace isn't like the world offers. That's what we've been talking about. There are kind of uh, symptomatic kind of, there's a peace that addresses kind of the exterior of life, um, all that family stuff, holiday stuff, that can bring some kind of worldly definition of peace. Worldly, not in a sinful way, but just it's, it's temporal, it's shallow. Um, but Jesus is saying the peace he gives is going to be deeper because it's going to be tied to something within, that namely being the Comforter, the Holy Spirit that would come. Let, let's see where that fits in to, to some of your other ideas because uh, I, I think that leads us to something that will come out in the end. Jonathan, then we'll... I was thinking of Revelation 6, where there's the saints under the altar who are crying out, um, how long before you avenge our blood on those who have uh, slain us? And I was thinking, there's this longing for a future peace, for ultimately for the wrong to be made right, for the wicked to be judged, for uh, righteousness to prevail ultimately. So, yeah, kind of thinking of future peace. Yeah, so I would say we've hit the bookends now of, of understanding something of peace. We know there's peace with God, and we need to address kind of peace until we get to the end of the story, where ultimately peace is going to be the universal reality, not just the future hope. Um, and so we might even call that peace on earth, which is the common Christmas expression, and we, we speak in language that makes it feel like now, like, oh, peace on earth, and you'll see that on Christmas cards and such, but that reality is, is, is a future peace. Uh, we know it's going to happen. Uh, Zechariah talking in Luke chapter 1 of his son and of his son's uh, priority, the Messiah, says that that Messiah would come to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. There is a path that eventually culminates in the fullness of peace, the reality of no conflict, no brokenness, no sin. Micah chapter 5, we read verse 5 a moment ago when he would stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And he speaks of them dwelling secure. And then he uses this phrase, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. That, that phrase, and you've heard it recently in the news because of the Palestinian conflict, from the river to the ends of the earth, is used all through the Psalms and the prophets to speak of this vast extent of the rule of the Messiah, 
that ultimate hope that really it would go everywhere uh, to the furthest limits, it's saying. Um, So it's not saying the reign of the Messiah is going to be narrowly focused by a river, Euphrates, and the Mediterranean Sea, but that it's just going to go everywhere. Everything that was promised to Israel in the past, but this is a pictorial kind of description that his rule will know no end. Peace everywhere. Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The verse before told us the government would rest on his shoulder. He'd be able to, he'd be able to bear up under this weight. He, he's up to the task of righteously dominating all the world. And of that peace that he will bring, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Having that promise tucked away in the Old Testament, it makes sense that the saints, as Jonathan mentioned, there under the altar would be crying out, how long, Lord, before we see that? When will that be the reality? But that is the future reality of peace on earth. It will happen. The zeal of the Lord will perform that. And so, peace with God right now in our hearts through Jesus Christ by faith. We're longing for vindication, for righteousness. We want that in our government. We want that in the world. We don't want hostages being negotiated for, and if not, they're being killed. We don't want that kind of evil going on in the world. We long for things to be made right, but that fullness of peace comes at the end of the story uh, when Christ makes all those things right. So what else fills the in-between? Our peace with God Right now, that's our standing with him if we've put our faith and trust in Christ. And we know that in the end, Christ reigns over every evil act and everything is made right. But what else do we know about peace? Or add to these ideas? Jared? I'm kind of jumping back a little bit, but when we say peace was lost in the Garden of Eden because they walked with God in the Garden of Eden, and when sin entered... Peace was lost, right? So in, we are looking ahead for peace, for ultimate peace in the world between man and God when God comes back. But now, understanding where we lost peace, can the Christians say there is a sense of where they have peace today as long as they are walking with God? From that sense, there's a, a peace that we're looking forward to, but there's also a peace that we have today in that as long as we are walking with God in subject to Him, not trying to control everything around us, what bad might happen, but realizing it's all in God's hands, then there's that sense of peace too that goes along with that. Right, so we're, we're living with, a, with the reality of peace because of our standing with God, and Jared's kind of calling to mind the, the Garden of Eden where there was that intimate fellowship with God. He walked with them in the cool of the day, and then that peace is fractured, by sin, they run from God and hide themselves, showing us that peace is tied to this intimate union with God in relationship. 
We have that in our standing with God, but we maintain that relationship by confession of sin. And so even in the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to be confessing our sin and to be forgiving others so that we would know forgiveness and maintain this relationship. So let's let's build on that. We're, We're now in this middle ground of we have peace with God in salvation and we know we will, again, walk with God when Eden is restored and a new creation. Look at that this morning in our study. Um, What else do we know about peace now in this life? What else? Everything's trying to rob us of it. Everything's trying to rob us. Like, what are some everythings? Uh, um, Ultimately, the the enemy, the devil, but just... uh, Dissatisfaction, yep. means not having enough what someone else has, um, not believing that what God has given us is the best that he's holding out on us. Yeah, God's not good, he's holding out. And my evidence is I see how someone else is prospering. Someone else's, or, or you know, my health is bad, and so, you know, now the discouragement sits in, sets in and it feels like, you know, peace is gone. Uh, God's far away. So what are we told about peace when we're poor and unhealthy or even dying or relationships are broken? Matthew? I was just thinking of 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, Agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Just that agape, the brotherly, or phileo love to strengthen. We have the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, but through that we can also strengthen each other and have peace within the body. Try not to strive and create a new burden or animosity. Good. This is, this, is, this is one of the points I wanted to make sure we hit. Between peace with God through salvation in Christ and future peace, which we will certainly all experience, and yet it's future. Um, in the meantime, the peace that flows out of our relationship with Jesus Christ is a peace that is evidenced with others. Christians can be people of peace. Doesn't necessarily mean we'd be pacifists, but what I'm saying is we should be people who measure up to 2 Corinthians 13. Did you read? Where we're told to live in peace with others, and then we're told the peace of God will dwell with you. It, it's not unlike help us to forgive those who trespass against us so that you'll forgive us our trespasses. It's almost like if you're not striving for peace, why would you expect to have peace with God? If you're content with fractured fellowship around you, how does that fit with a claim to be in sweet communion and peace with someone that you had once offended? So peace with others becomes an important part of that peace that we will see in the Christmas season. And it, 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 
it's, it's generated, it's kind of forced upon us uh, that we would be peaceful with others. You know, so everyone's politeness is ratcheted up a little bit and, you know, and, until Black Friday sales or something, then uh, it's every man for himself. Uh, but generally, at this time of year, you see a lot of kindness and a lot of extra charity um, and people dropping their few dollars in, in, the, in the kettle. Why? Because they feel like this is the season for doing things for others. Christians should constantly be experiencing this transformation from being self-centered to being others-centered. Or we might say just becoming like Christ. It's interesting, at the beginning of Christ's ministry, after kind of the incarnation story at the beginning of Matthew, we quickly get in those early chapters to Jesus being tempted by the devil to be incredibly self-centered. Matthew 4 or so. Do this for you, do this for you, do this for you, do this for you. But the reality is Jesus understood why he had come, and Philippians 2 told us what that mission was. He humbled himself and took on himself the form of a servant. Jesus would tell us in his own words he didn't come to be served, not for self-centered reason, but for an others-centered reason. He came to serve others, not to be served. And so we need to recognize that peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ is a transformational peace that should lead us to be reconcilers. Not only with the gospel, that's 2 Corinthians 5. We are ambassadors for Christ. In his stead, we're trying to reconcile the world to God. But that's just because we're reconcilers by nature now when we have the nature of God. If Christmas is about God and sinners reconciled, then when we know God and are partakers of the new nature, we become reconcilers. We love this good news, and we want to make peace. Now, is that always possible? No. We can't, we can't make people believe in Jesus. We can't make them taste and see that the Lord is good. As much as we see those that we love pursuing other things and walking away from the church or co-workers that we work with that are unbelievable. We, we long for them to know the kind of joy we know when we fellowship with God's people, when we gather to worship, when we meet God in the word. We want them to have this, but we can't make them do it. Romans chapter 12 reminds us of that. And it tells us simply to live at peace as much as it is up to us. And then it goes on to kind of say that there are times you can't make this peace happen and you're just going to have to trust God. You don't, you don't have to make it right. You don't, have to pers- you don't have to make it just. Trust God. Let him carry out any vengeance and any vindication and any making of right. That, that's beyond your ability or pay grade, they would say. So this peace with others is important. Uh, Ephesians 2 reminds us, after we're told we're saved by grace through faith and we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, something about that good works unfolds in the very next paragraph where he tells the Jews and Gentiles that Christ has broken down the wall of partition and we are all one 
by faith in Christ. And so we should love each other. We should get along. And that perhaps is the quintessential example of racial conflict. In our culture, we might think, you know, white versus black America, and that, that's a pretty big divide, and there's some ugly history there that we're pretty much all aware of. Uh, that helps us understand what Paul was addressing in Ephesians 2, saying, hey, you two, I, I don't want to hear any more about Jew and Gentile. And, and frankly, probably sounded insensitive, because if we were in a more racially divided city or region, and I said, hey, listen, I don't want to hear any more about your blackness or your whiteness. Just stop. You are all one in Christ. I'm sure somebody would say, well, that's not right, because we should... Um, But the conflict's over. That's what Paul was saying. We have peace with each other. Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. Be thankful for that. This is is a manifestation of the peace you have with God. So be thankful for the peace you have with each other. Be thankful for those differences. It's a, it's a constant reminder that Christ came to save sinners, not any specific type. This is the mercy of God. So we have peace with God, eventually peace on earth. Right now, that peace is manifest toward peace with others. And we've kind of talked a little. There's one other kind of context for this peace that I want us to address what, what's, another, what's another favorite way we talk about peace? Um, I don't know if this is where you're going, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Fruit of the Spirit, certainly. When, yeah. Just thinking about the, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Christ's peace will guard us. Yeah, Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's like, well, how do we have that peace then? If, like, if, if we're saying my understanding, I, I, I don't understand. Well, how do I have peace if I can't even put the pieces together and understand it? How can I have peace? It's because, as Lorene said, there is a peace of the Holy Spirit that comes from within. It, it's not... It's not gathered from without, like I'll find peace in these scenarios and situations, and when I find that peace, then I can rest in my cancer diagnosis. So then I can rest in this broken relationship that I, I can't make, make peace for. I, I, I don't harvest peace. It's worked from within by the Spirit. So this peace of God... We could say peace from God through the Holy Spirit working in us, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That, that's an argument, actually, for a command earlier that you rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How is that possible? How do I rejoice this season when we fill in the blank? Well, here's the argument. Here's the explanation. It's peace that comes from within. Peace, then, I think, the other context where we most often talk about it is peace in trials. Peace in circumstances that are far from ideal. 
Yes, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that. We understand the theology of salvation. And that same theology reminds us that this is, this is, on, this is a journey. This victory, this advance of the kingdom, as Acts has shown us, is really happening. And it's going to culminate in peace, a new heaven and a new earth, and no more conflict and tension and sin and brokenness. In the meantime, Christians should be people of peace, which means you need to be a peaceful wife. You need to be a peaceful husband. Every time you, every time you engage and, and allow that attempted victory of an argument or a conflict, every time you step into that arena, you're, you're squashing this peace that is supposed to characterize us as others serving and not self-serving. And then, then we come to these trials, the hardships of life. And we're to understand that it's, we're talking about the same peace, the same peace that helps us get along, the same peace that allows us to be in fellowship with God, to get along with him now, not as rebels, but as sons, and the same peace that we'll enjoy forever is that peace which helps us to endure the storms. Matthew 8, 23 to 27 is that story of Jesus calming the sea and his disciples just being blown away that he could do that. Um, But that's a beautiful, like, visual, like, tangible picture of peace in the midst of the storm. Jesus calmed the storm, and then it was peaceful. And if we're not careful, we think, ah, see, that's the lesson to be learned. Like, Jesus will calm the storms because he's all-powerful and he's Lord of wind and waves. That's all true, but the lesson was, oh, you have little faith. You should have had the same calmness of heart that you had when the winds and waves stopped, but you should have had that calm in the wind and waves because Jesus is here. You should have just trusted that he knows and he's doing what's best. The great hope of those stories of storms on the Sea of Galilee is not Jesus will calm the storms because sometimes he sends you right into them. That's how those stories originated. He told the disciples, get into the boat and sail to the other side. And we think almost like a sinister thought, like, yeah, he stayed, he went up onto the mountain and watched them sail into a storm. Exactly, but that's not sinister. He was teaching them, he was preparing them, he was building their faith. And they didn't quite pass that with flying colors, but they learned something about this master and Lord. And the next storm might not have been as bad, or at least it was in their head. Ah, with little faith, we get all wrecked by fear. But if we'll just have a little bit of faith in this Lord and Master, we know we are safe. We don't have to ask that question, do you not care if we perish? In a sense, we would say, how dare they ask that question? But that's what struggling faith does. So let's pray for increased faith so that we would know this peace in the midst of our storms. So that we would be like Daniel when the decree is issued and he went 
and said, well, the decree is I'm not supposed to pray to God. I'm going to go and give thanks to God. What did he give thanks for? Who knows? You can imagine it was that he didn't believe the way they did and intentionally tried to get away from God. Instead, he's given thanks that he knows the true God and can pray to him. And then he goes peacefully to the lion's den, giving words of instruction to the king. Then he's greeted the next morning by the king with words of peace and another visible example of what it means to have peace in the midst of all kinds of opposition. And Romans 8 lays it out theologically that God is for us. He's working good for us. And the rest of that chapter says that's because he's able to do that and because he cares to do that. So we have peace. We can't separate peace in the, in the midst of the hardships of life from the peace that we have with God because our sin is forgiven. It's all the same. He's the Prince of Peace when we come to him as our Savior, when we come to him asking us to transform our thinking and attitudes so that we'll live at peace, when we come to him pleading for help in the time of need, in the midst of the storm. And it's the same peace that we're longing for that will only be experienced when Jesus makes all things new. So when you hear of peace this Christmas season, think, think big and know that the Bible wants us to think Old Testament to new. Peace was always the plan for Christmas. It was always the plan that in that babe born in a manger, peace would come to God's people. Now, in, in sufficient measure and ultimately in the full experience, peace. So thank you, Lord for the peace that we can have now in the midst of a busy season, perhaps in the midst of a challenging week, in the midst of storms or trials or oppositions or heartaches. Thank you for the peace of God worked in us that will go beyond our small amount of understanding of what's going on in our lives. Thank you for peace that comes by being forgiven of all of our sin and your judgment on that sin. We celebrate, as the apostle did with that declaration, there is now no condemnation for us because we are in Christ Jesus. So we give you our thanks for him, even as we pray in his name. Amen.